I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Jonathan Nichols. Jonathan is a real estate investor local to the DFW Metroplex. He began his real estate career after having worked almost 10 years in the aerospace engineering industry as a propulsion engineer. I'm not even sure I know what that is, so maybe you can <laughs> explain that to us. Um, he's a BS degree and an MS degree in aerospace engineering uh, from Texas A&M and Virginia Polytech. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to stop there on the bio because I really want to let you kind of tell us your story, your background. Um, I feel like people say things like it's not rocket science and you might actually do <laughs> rocket science. So there, there's you're you're qualified to speak to that but um first of all thank you for coming on the show thank you for taking the time out today well thanks for having me jason um that's you know quite the intro um you've already hit about half of my story already you know i grew up i loved aerospace i loved engineering aviation that was kind of what my passion was and you know never had a doubt what i wanted to study when i was in school and so you know went through the normal uh you know, what we'd call the normal progression for students and in, in careers, uh, you know, went to university, got a, my bachelor's degree in engineering, and then studied to do my master's while I started working full time and um, was initially, you know, pretty happy in my in my career and, and didn't have intentions of, of searching out anything else. But um, as many of your listeners are, are probably aware of, you know, kind of how things work in the corporate world, um, eventually, you start to get pigeonholed into just doing, you know, what it is that the company needs you to do to move their business plan forward and less of, you know, what you're really passionate about. And so, you know, after kind of battling through that for a few years, um, around the same time, my wife and I began investing in, in real estate together. And at first, just um, single family properties that we purchased ourselves and, and turned into short term rentals. Um, but after having some some success in that initially, we started to look at doing that as a full time like scalable business. And so we went and talked to some of the people at our local RIA who who were full time investors and just said, hey, what is it that you do that allows you to be a full time investor? And, you know, nine times out of 10, their answer to us was multifamily. You know, it's the, the avenue that's allowed us to scale faster, have a greater impact um, for ourselves, for our investors, for the community. Um, and so that's kind of what got us the bug, so to speak, uh, for multifamily investing. And so from there on, we went down, a, would say, a pretty traditional path for new syndicators. You know, we joined a mentorship program, went through a lot of that education, um, you know, continued to work on our, our single family stuff on the side, uh, but really set our full focus and attention on, on going on multifamily. And so uh, about two and a half years ago, did our first, you know, syndication um, that we co-GP'd on and then just continued to do one after another. Um, after that, um, I left my W-2 job about a year and a half ago now. And so I'm a full-time syndicator today. Um, and eventually my wife will will be joining me to do that full-time as well. So that's our story in a nutshell. Happy to expound on, expand any more on it, but that's, that's the short story. Yeah. 
it's and it's kind of a I guess not not a lot of people are aerospace engineers but the the idea of that sort of progression from okay I had my corporate job to um I start you know fit whether it's accidental a lot of accidental landlords but somehow people figure out like there is some benefit to being involved in real estate a lot of times it's on the residential side and then as you mentioned you get around people that are doing it you know sort of professionally that's that's their job it's all they do is real estate investing and, and often then gets to the point of being um, commercial real estate and multifamily and stuff one thing um i wanted to ask about that is is as you sort of made that progression so you're you bought some single family properties and you did you buy those with the intent of sort of turning them into short-term rentals right off the bat that was kind of always the goal there or how did you approach that in the beginning yeah that's a good question and there's a good story behind it so uh when my wife and I got married about six years ago we bought a you know normal average modest three two single family house that we intended to to live in um, and that's where we started our, our married life together. Um, and we started looking at investing, learned about something called a house hack, which is essentially leveraging a, a mortgage that you can get on a personal residence by moving to said property and living there. Um, and so we decided to house hack a fourplex. Um, so imagine going from a, you know, not luxurious, but nice single family home to a fourplex that's in a you know, not unsafe, but not great area either, just kind of your average fourplex. Yeah. And um, ironically, we were talking before the show, it's actually across the street from the, the Cowboys Stadium, the AT&T Stadium um, in Arlington, Texas. And so we moved into one of the units. We we didn't commit mortgage fraud. We literally moved there, renovated the unit. Um, and then as the tenants, well, first of all, as the tenants, you know, began to run the business, so to speak, you know, we had projected we would make two or three hundred dollars a month on income or cash flow from the property. Um, and instead, because there was so much deferred maintenance on the problem, we actually lost a couple hundred dollars a month. And, um, you know, it wasn't going to send us to bankruptcy or anything like that. But it's pretty discouraging when you've headed down this path of like, hey, I'm going to be a successful investor and it's costing you money instead of making you money. Right. Yeah. But rather than give up or just say, oh, well, we said, OK how can we pivot this? And so we had done a little bit of short-term rental with, with one of our guest rooms before and seen some other people do it. And it looked like it was, you know, a pretty successful venture. And so we said, Hey, we're just going to renovate one of these units and try it as a short-term rental. Like it's not fancy or anything like that, but it's clean. It's safe. There's a demand here. And so we did that and it took off and did extraordinarily well. So much so that we quickly, as fast as we could, you know, um, acquired the other two units and and turned those into short-term rentals and then moved out ourselves um you know a year after we moved in and, and turned that one into a short-term rental too and so we went from losing a couple hundred dollars a month to cash flowing about three thousand dollars a month so uh you know it just shows like hey if you're willing to pivot or change your strategy um you know that's that's kind of that so all that to say short-term rental was not our our plan a um, but it was something that we used kind of pivoting on, on what was our plan A. Yeah, it's, yeah, you need to be flexible, right? You need flexibility and, and being opportunistic. I think in, in real estate is really important. Like, yes, eventually you want to get, you know, sort of niche down and get very skilled at a particular, um, asset class, but, but ultimately I think a lot of times in the beginning, 
the way to find whatever your niche is going to be is by sort of finding these these little opportunities or these just things that that you make a little pivot and you're like wow this is really great this worked out well so if you're doing this this is a thing that i have actually as you were talking through your story that i thought about and I've, i've i don't know that i've ever made this connection before but but a lot of people say okay i want to scale i want to grow i want i want you know to get bigger in as a real estate investor and move into commercial real estate multifamily is you know what we talk about most here but but they go that route for you know sort of bigger mm-hmm. but then you'll hear the short term rental crowd group whatever people that that they talk about how the cash flow is so much better with short term rentals and now i would say you know maybe it makes sense to have both which you do but what do you think is maybe the appeal like why didn't you just stay and say oh i'm cash flowing three thousand dollars a month why don't I, we just do this over and over again and instead decided to go you know sort of towards multifamily what what makes that makes you push in one direction or the other yeah absolutely so i mean as you already mentioned short-term rental is it was a great cash flow investment um you know you have the the advantages of being an actual investor in real estate, but have the uh, cash flow advantages of owning a business. And you do own a bit. I mean, you always own a business in real estate with short-term rental. You really own a business. Um, you have to have the processes, the procedures, the team around you to build a turn units quickly, keep them occupied, keep customers happy, not all of which are reasonable customers. Um, and so, you know, that's very challenging. Um, so I would say there was kind of a couple of things. One, it's, it's and and I say this, I say this a little bit hesitantly because I know there are short-term rental people that are extremely extremely successful, but it is not as easy to scale a short-term rental business as a multifamily business. And one of the biggest reasons for that is third-party property management. So short-term rental is notorious for having horrible third-party managers. I'm not saying there's no good managers, but in general, it's extremely difficult to find good managers. And so you have to essentially build out your own management company, which is what we did. Um, in in the multifamily world, you know there are poor choices in third party managers, but there's a lot of great choices too. And so if you leverage the experience and the you know efforts of that third party management company, you can really scale um, faster and larger overall in that. And so what it allows you to do is build more wealth. So, you know, if that's your goal in real estate is, hey, I want to build wealth for myself, for my family, um, for investors, um, then multifamily is is a clear winner. Um, The other thing on the cash flow side that I would point out specific to short-term rental is that in light of of the supply of short-term rentals that we see, and now going into, you know, some people would say we're in a recession, some say we're heading into a recession, um, the demand is also decreasing. And so, just to give you an example, when I started out doing short-term rentals and would analyze new projects, I wanted at least 20 and probably closer to 25% cash on cash returns for my properties, which is incredibly high. Um, my last short-term rental project that I did exactly a year ago was projected at like 13, which is still good, but you know, I have multifamily that is kind of nipping at the heels of that in terms of cash flow. And so um, there's been some things that have changed in the market where once again, we're pivoting and saying, hey, we can get 
a lot of the cash flow from our multifamily properties that we could from short-term rental and have the wealth building and economies of scale capabilities that come with it. So that's just a few thoughts. I can I can go into a lot more detail, but you know some things that your listeners you know might want to think about. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's great, and I think that that's you know everybody everybody likes to think their asset class is the greatest asset class, and it's like, but reality, I think people that that make it for a long term as real estate investors, they do some some pivoting along the way, even even within um asset classes so as you as you made that shift into multifamily, you know you said you did uh was it two and a half years ago was the first um syndication I... uh th that's correct yes yeah and so you did a mentorship program you started that how has that looked for you you know sort of as you moved into multifamily, what uh, what's your portfolio look like? We, we can start there. What's your, your portfolio look like? What's your what's your focus? Um, your buy box, I guess, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of multifamily, we're at about four hundred doors as general partners, um, and a little over a thousand as limited partners. So, deals that I've passively invested in myself, um, and that's across you know about five about five deals, commercial real estate deals. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of one difference is typically your deals come a little bit slower pace and, you know, you have a lot more focus and intentionality on each deal, I would say. Um, and then, and then on the short-term rental side, we've held all our properties there. So we have about 15 units that, you know, we own ourselves, um, of short-term rental. And then I have a few that I do what's called arbitrage with where I, four specifically where I rent and then, you know, re-rent them on the short-term rental market. Um, so Overall, that's that's kind of what I what I managed today. Um, you know, last year, 2022 was a it was my first year full time in in syndication, but it was a particularly challenging year for syndicators. Um, we went into the year thinking we were going to do three, maybe four deals throughout the year, you know, really push hard. Um, we did one syndication last year. And the good news is it was a great deal. You know, it was great for us, great for our investors, and that's what the most important thing is. Uh, but it was definitely disappointing, right? Being our first, our first year full time, and so, um, you know, hoping that that twenty twenty three is kind of the the new year. You know, we're starting to see a little bit of turn in the market, in the sense where sellers are are somewhat more reasonable, um, and the demand from buyers has gone down. And so, you know, we have things back into play like contingencies and due diligence timeframes and stuff like that, that we didn't get a year ago. And so um, I'm very optimistic about the the opportunities to scale over the next year. Um, but that's where we're at today. Yeah. And I, that sentiment, I, I mean, I, I completely echo, we, we sounds like we started about the same time. And, and last year was a, a tale of two halves really too. The, the beginning of the year was yeah you know, everybody had, everybody had a mo momentum, the, the market was still super, super hot. And you could, you could certainly argue, like, that might not be better, right? That may, it might not be better when it's highly competitive, prices are up, cap rates are compressed, that might not be a better buying scenario, but it felt like, at least things were happening, right? So you have that, you know, sort of uh, confidence that comes with momentum. And then the market shifts due to interest rates increase and things like that. And so I had exactly the same thing. I did one deal last year and it was, you know, kind of, you you thought it was going to be a big year and then it just didn't quite turn out that way. But right. I think that that is a testament to your 
like staying conservative, keeping keeping investors uh, front of mind because sure you can still do deals, but it just the the numbers stopped making sense. And so I think that that shows that you are willing to you know sit back and and wait for the right deals and and yeah, hopefully things are gonna um, normalize a little bit here in 2023. What do you? As far as within the syndication team, what what role do you play, Jonathan? What's and, and maybe it's you know in combination with your wife. How do you guys um, structure that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, my favorite thing to do is I love hunting for deals. Um, so you know, you already mentioned my background was was aerospace engineering. So numbers, analysis, understanding you know how all the pieces sort of fit together from a numerical standpoint is something that's particularly interesting to me. Um, so I like studying deals. I like looking at the numbers, um, and and I enjoy the relationships that that I have with you know brokers and sellers in in the markets that I'm interested in. So that's my primary focus is finding deals. Um, I do spend a good bit of time working on capital raising as well, and that's something I've tried to improve on. You know, engineering background. We don't study sales. We don't study marketing or anything like that. So all that's been a huge learning curve. Something completely new to me, but it's been a challenge that that I've enjoyed and we've been, you know, pretty successful with. So I would say my wife compliments a lot of the, the capital raising activities within our company. Um, and then finally is, is asset management. So, um, you know, I, I have some roles in asset management. I think I do a good job at it. I would not say that it's necessarily my niche. Um, my wife is extremely strong at project management and I have other partners that are extremely strong at project management um, and so, you know, I, I definitely leverage their skill sets on, in those areas on our projects. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, you get, you have to build that team that everybody has the complementary strengths, right. And they, you know, you, yeah. you don't necessarily want a team full of people that are all doing exactly the same thing. Cause then, you know, you're going to have, um, probably weaknesses in other areas that way. I know that, that you sort of mentioned, um, you know, sort of team building leadership as something that's, you know, passionate to you, something that you you like to focus on. I wanted to to dive into that topic because I think it is extremely important to the success of these projects. Um, you said it before that, you know, you, you are buying a business. Each each asset is, is a business within itself. Um, so what do you do maybe some tips and tricks on on what you do to sort of build your team. Obviously, your wife's part of your team, so that's nice to have that kind of uh, in-house relationship. But still, there's, you know, there's more to go to to it than that. And, and also, even if you want to touch on how that, you know, how you balance that sort of marriage part of the relationship versus the business part of the relationship, because I'm sure there are people that have that, you know, have that struggle within uh, within their lives as well. Yeah, so two really big questions. We'll, we'll tackle them one at a time. So uh, the first one, teamwork. Uh, you know, I already mentioned when I started out in multifamily, we went through a mentorship program, and now I'm actually full circle and working as a coach in that mentorship program. And so, you know, I work with a, a number of students, and and one of the big challenges they always have is like, who do I partner with? And it kind of comes into play one of two two manners. So it can be them looking for experienced sponsors that they want to co-GP or partner with on a deal, typically, you know, their first, second deal. Um, it can also be like, hey, I want to like partner up with people and work on it more from like a 
um, uh, just a team type of manner, right? We're all equals working on this together, so to speak. Um, and one thing that I notice in a lot of these students is that they, they typically have a mentality when they're starting in real estate of like, who will let me on their team or who wants to be on my team instead of asking first, whose team do I want to be on? Right. Um, and so, you know, it comes from a position of need instead of a position of like what's best. And so one thing that I always advise to them is like saying, Hey, if you could just pick any team you wanted to be on, which, which teams would you pick? And that's important because, you know, when you're looking for your first deal, it can get, um, tempting, if you will, to just say, whoever will take me, I want to get into a deal, but you're really tying your reputation with that person or persons. And so you want to make sure that, you know, they have investors' best interests in mind. You have similar investment philosophies, um, you know, that you work well as a team that you can, you know, go through conflict together. Uh, one of the things that, another thing that, you know, I talk with them a lot about and that I've studied a lot myself over the last couple of years is, personalities and personality assessments. And so there's a hundred different ones out there that, you know, people are familiar with, whether it's like, you know, Myers-Briggs or DISC or Enneagram or all these different things. But what's important to understand is that we all have different personalities. And that means that we react and we interact with people in different ways based on those personalities. And so there's there's a, a tendency in people to maybe get upset when someone else acts a certain way or to wonder why that person's acting a certain way. And if you'll step back and have people in your team, you know, maybe take one of these personality assessments and understand, okay, you know, Bob over here, he's a very direct person. He's just going to tell me like it is. And that means that, you know, maybe sometimes he's going to say something that almost hurts my feelings, but he doesn't mean it in a bad way. He's just trying to say, this is the best thing for this project, the best thing for our investors. Um, other people, you know, they're going to be maybe a little bit more passive. And so they may be great when it comes to negotiating with people or to interacting or making friends with people on the team. But if you need to have a really hard, like strict conversation with a particular vendor or broker or whoever it is, they may not be the best suited for that. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of, you know, kind of understanding your personality, understanding your natural tendencies and how you react and interact with other people. Um, so those are just a few tips for your first question. Um, the second question in terms of like how my wife and I work together, it's interesting because we, we get that question a lot and usually it's within the context of, Hey, Jonathan, I want to get into real estate, but my wife does not want to, what do I do? Yeah. And I always tell them I'm the worst person to answer that question because for, for me and my wife, not right or wrong, but for us, we've both always been like full bore on real estate. Now, there are some times where I'm pushing her a little bit, and there's been some times that she's pushing me a little bit. So, for example, we talked about our house hack that we did when we first started real estate. That was her idea. I was like, hey, let's just save up our money. It may take a year or two, buy a single family home. And she was like, no, if we're going to be successful, we got to jump in like, you know, head first into this. And so that's an example where she was pushing me. And there's been a lot of examples where it's been the other way around. Um so what I would say is the important thing is that both of you be on the same page. Um, you know, investing has, it has inherent risk to it. And if something were to ever go wrong in an investment, so, you know, maybe you do passively invest in something and it doesn't go well, or 
you're an active investor and you lose earnest money on a deal or, you know, whatever it could be, a bad situation, you don't want that to destroy your marriage or your relationship with your significant other. And so if you're on the same page going into it, you're like, hey, you know, we bought into this idea together and it's a lot less of this, you know, pointing fingers or blame game and more of just, okay, what do we do to fix the situation now? So I, I don't know if that's helpful to everyone, but that's kind of the experience that, you know, I have to offer. Well, and I think that the the point about just being on the same page going into it, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, the the, the people that say, oh, I, you know, I want to get into real estate investing, but my wife or husband, does, they don't want to, they don't want to mm. be a part of it. It's one thing if they don't want to be a part of it. It's another thing if they just completely don't want you doing it. Very true. In yeah. it, right? Because there's like, like my wife doesn't, she doesn't want to work in the real estate business, but she right. gets it and, and is supportive of it. And it's, so it's like, there's, and that's a pretty big difference is it's, you know, lots of the, you know, I don't know exactly the statistics, but like, I think most divorces are money related, right? So this is, yeah. this is, these are big money decisions. And as you said, if things go wrong, th that if that's, if that's going to ruin the, the marriage, then you, you need to think about that ahead of time. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to go back to, you know, sort of your, your comment on um, like all of the, the personality assessments um, that are out there now. And since you're coaching students, is this something that, because I, I, you're sort of putting people into the two categories of like, oh, we're just, I'm going to meet these people who are all going to form a group, or I'm going to try and get in with experienced people. Is, is your, the personality assessments, those tests and things like that, is that something that you are suggesting people should all do sort of as a group before they form a partnership it it seems i don't think i think it's a great idea but i also think that you know people might the response to that might be well what am yeah. i supposed to just like walk up to this new partner and be like i need you to take this personality test so <laughs> i see it that's a good question like in it with employees makes total sense like if you're hiring for your team sure the person that you know those those assessment tests make a ton of sense but but what would you I guess one, do you suggest that's part of, you know, forming partnerships? And if not, what what's a way to you know sort of supplement that, I guess, is is yeah, that's no, it's it's a great question. So I would say I would say a couple of things. I think that, you know, for as a first level, you know, if you can just pick one of these assessments and understand it. And, you know, I don't want to use the word stereotype, but it actually may be a good word in this situation. If you can kind of get to the point where you can meet people and, you know, just at a very quick level say, hey, this person has this general kind of personality, mm -hmm. it can help you out a lot, whether they ever take a test or know, you know, about tests or anything. So let me give you an example. I have a student going to CoGP with an experienced sponsor. That sponsor seems very friendly. They're all over social media, very bubbly, you know, great capital raiser. Are they good at attention to detail? Do they understand numbers well? Are they going to like do the nitty gritty stuff, the tedious stuff that's necessary in asset management, you know? So if they have a personality that seems a little bit more of that outgoing and, and, you know, kind of bubbly, if you will, but not as focused on the details, do they have someone on their team that's doing that? Because if they don't, it's a recipe for disaster, not because they're a bad person, not because there's anything wrong with them. 
but just because they haven't properly filled in that gap, that need within their syndication team. Go to the other side of things. You know, you have uh, a person who, you know, they're very into the numbers. They're very into the weeds, asset management, all that, but they seem a little bit cold and not friendly. Um, are they really an unfriendly or not a nice person? Or is it just, hey, that's more their personality. And then I can make a decision of whether or not I'm willing to, you know, work with them around that, knowing that, hey, they've got, you know, all this stuff, you know, the, the, I's dotted, T's crossed kind of thing on their on their work. So, you know, that's that's kind of level one. I think you're right in saying like it's a little awkward, perhaps, if you approach, uh, you know, an experienced sponsor and kind of demand that of them. But, you know, you understanding that yourself can be helpful on the second level. You know, if you're if you're assembling your own team, I think it's great to at least have a conversation. So I've taken several different of these assessments and stuff. I kind of have an interest in it. Um, and so most people have taken some kind of assessment like this. And so even if it's not the one you prefer, it can still give you an idea of, you know, who they are or, or you know, kind of how their, their interpersonal skills are on a team. Um, but, you know, if you, if you wanted to, and everyone on the team was on board with it, you certainly could make that request that everyone take the same one and then discuss it together and kind of how you're going to interact. Um, so that's just a, you know, a couple ideas of how you could, you know, implement it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I do, I do think it's a great idea. I, I think, I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily even know themselves, right? So mm, if you're, yeah. if we're talking about these assessment tests and you haven't taken one yourself, or you don't feel like you're, you know, especially self-aware and I don't know, maybe you don't know if you're, <laughs> you don't, if you're not self-aware, you don't know you're not self-aware. I don't know. But, but the, it may be of value if you're going to propose this as part of your team building that you have taken uh, one or a number of them yourself. So you know really where you fit in, what your uh, kind of personality type is. And there you, therefore, you then know what are you looking for from a complementary standpoint, whether that be partners or employees. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you can know yourself well, but sometimes you take one of these and you still learn something or you're right, surprised right. by by one of the results, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I think it would be really actually interesting, <laughs> interesting information. And, and you know, maybe you do it every couple of years because things about you have you've, have changed or the way you view things have changed. So um, it's definitely an interesting position to kind of look at it or, or angle to look at it from, I think, to to be using those to your advantage. Um, Jonathan, let me, let me switch gears here. I want to, I want to get to ask you the questions that I ask every guest. Um, and so the first one is always, you know, sort of based on the name of the show being know your why, but what's, what is your why, what, what drives you, you know, what, what pushes you towards further success? And, um, you can include your, your wife as, uh, part of the why, or, or she, uh, helps drive the why, whatever you think that you said, you both push each other. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I've kind of tagline my my why is run your race well. So when I got into multifamily, when I got into entrepreneurship, people would talk about like knowing your why. And for the longest time, honestly, I didn't just have this one why that just pulled everything together. And I thought, well, is something wrong with me? Have I just not found it yet? And I think what I've come to realize is that for me, there's kind of several things which together um, make up my why. And so obviously like most investors in real estate, I want to achieve financial freedom for myself, for my family. I want to have control of my time, 
to spend it doing what I want with who I want. Um, another piece of my why is helping our investors. So one of the reasons I got into multifamily syndication was I saw people who had worked really hard in their life. They had done all the right financial things, budgeting, putting money in their 401k, but they really didn't have a sound strategy for their retirement. And I felt like through real estate investing, through syndications, I could help them with that. Um, impact on the community, you know, um, we do a lot of like, let's say C plus B minus type property, you know, workforce type housing. And so, you know, providing a place that's, that's clean, that's safe for people and their families to live in is, you know, another piece that why. So there's many more, but, but what I realized in my life is that one day, whenever, whenever that day is, when I sort of, you know, reach the end of the road, I want to look back on my life and say, I did everything that I could, you know, in my life to make a difference that I didn't waste my life in some meaningless way. And so um, my hobby for many years has been endurance running like marathons, triathlons, and one kind of parallel to me between life and running is that, um, you know, there's no time out in life, right? We can't just hit the stopwatch right now and be like, let me think about this a little bit, right? It's just, it keeps moving forward. Time keeps moving forward. There's no do-overs, just like when you're in a race after you've ran your mile, it's over, you know, you don't do it again. And it's the same way with life. Each day we wake up and we make choices about what we're going to do that day, how we're going to use it. And then it's done. We don't get to do it over again. And so to me, running the race well encapsulates kind of like giving my best in every area of my life to have a life that's, you know, significant, that's meaningful um, and something that, you know, I can be proud of one day. Yeah. Love it. I love it. I think I I've never heard it put that way, but I think that's that's great. Just doing, yeah, running your race well. It's, it's a fabulous analogy. So um I like that a lot. Uh next question, and maybe you just <laughs> gave some of it away, but um tell us about some something about yourself that isn't common knowledge, uh special skill, a hobby. I know you just said that that you're an endurance runner, so that's <laughs> that's obviously something, but um Anything else you want to share? Let people know you better. Yeah, probably all my probably all my friends would know that already. Anyway, so I'll you know pick something else. So it's interesting. Growing up, I always wanted to learn um, a foreign language, and never had the time or reasoning or whatever to learn one. And so uh, my wife Paula, she's actually Colombian. She immigrated here from Colombia when she was thirteen with her family. And so when we started dating, I began learning Spanish. Um, and knew basically nothing. And now, um, I wouldn't say that like I'm fluent in it, but I study it every day. I communicate pretty well at an intermediate level. I can go where I want talk to people, you know, um, you know, talk to whether it's contractors or when I'm traveling or whatever it is with her family. Um, it's become a, like a pretty invaluable skill that, you know, I've picked up on and, and continuing to learn. So, um, that's something that I'm pretty passionate about is, is continuing to grow in that area. Yeah, that's that's tremendous. And it, you mentioned speaking with contractors. It is uh, something that I think it, I would, I similar to you, like haven't had the the real um, I don't know what it is, just time, motivation, whatever to to learn. But I would very much like to learn Spanish so that I can communicate better with you know, sort of on those uh, on the site <laughs> contractors and things like that, and sure. where needed. Uh, and I didn't I didn't marry a spanish-speaking woman so we, although she did she's better than me she's better than me <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> but i yeah very little uh very little knowledge there my kids are you know learning 
some in school and it's like I'm, i basically am like learning spanish at the same level as them you know like my son's four yeah, that's like cool I'm, though i'm a four-year-old spanish that's that's my my level of understanding um when people hear this and they want to reach out what's the best way to connect yeah so um our website is apogee a-p-o-g-e-e mfc like multifamilycapital.com um, on there, we've got, you know, contact forms they can reach out to me with a ton of resources about investing, about us. Um, and so that's the best way. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So if you want to find me on there and send me a message, that's also another way to reach out. Okay, perfect. We'll have those in the, the show notes. Um, final question for you, Jonathan. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone who is getting started in real estate? And I know you're coaching, so you probably are doing this quite a bit, but what do you tell your students, you know, kind of here, here are some, whether they're steps or mindset or whatever tips that you use to help them get going? Man, it's going to sound so simple, um, but it's, it's really just don't quit, be persistent. Um, we all start out in this industry at a different level. We all start out with our own unique gifts, abilities, advantages, disadvantages in this industry. Um, but the people that are successful are really just the ones that have that mentality of like, I'm going to keep moving forward one step at a time until I hit the success that I want. And so, you know, there's definitely different things you can learn, mentors, books, whatever to accelerate your progress. But at the end of the day, the people that are successful in this business are simply the ones that just don't give up. So um, yeah, don't quit. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's one of my... Uh... <laughs> definitely a, a motivational even self-motivational sort of factor there is just don't quit don't give up it's it's not over unless you stop so yeah i think yeah. that's phenomenal um for people to hear that and you know i'm sure your students are getting a lot of value out of that um well listen jonathan this this was awesome thank you so much for coming on i appreciate having you on the show i appreciate you taking the time out and um all of the value that you shared uh i really do really do um think people are going to love this one Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jason. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Folks listening, uh, I know you're going to love this episode. Please like, rate, and review so we can have more great guests like guests like Jonathan. Um, and have a great day, everyone. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.